Welcome to the Everything Leaves podcast. My name is Nick D'Souza. I'm here with Kevin Petty. Kevin, episode six. Uh, big week this week. Two wins, one loss. How did you feel? I felt better after last night's win. I think if they would have lost both games against Buffalo, even if it was an overtime loss, uh, I think it would have been pretty upsetting. So I thought Tavares' OT goal was one of the bigger goals of the season just to keep the momentum going. I don't know about you, but losing two straight against Buffalo would have hurt. Yeah, definitely. And it, especially when Buffalo is someone in contention, I know that they've been dropping the last few weeks, but two wins against the Leafs kind of puts them right back into it. And pretty much they're back into it three points in four games for them, in two games for them against the Leafs. So they're back into it. And those division games are so important. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's been five games since Keith took over. And if they would have lost both to Buffalo, I, I don't even know if you could say any improvement. So I think that win last night definitely changes the mood of the podcast. I know, uh, like, with a week with, like, Detroit and then two against Buffalo, I think we wanted at least four points, and they did get four points. But, you know, three points, two points, those wouldn't have been satisfying. Uh, so I think I'm happy to kind of move on from that back-to-back. And, I mean, it's it's going to be fun having another back-to-back here. I don't know why the Leafs are so cursed with all these back-to-backs, but... It looks like we're going to be seeing a lot of Hutchison. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we'll, we'll get to that. I know that that was uh, you and I were right in the spotlight for for Hutchison. But first, we'll start with our three stars the same way we start every week. Um, who, are, who are your three stars for this week? So I'm going to start with Nylander. I know I've been picking him a lot. But, I mean, he just keeps scoring. Uh, really looks like the player the Leafs thought they were getting when they signed him. I thought he was pretty good last year. I think he got off to a bit of a slow start. Then, I mean, by playoff time, he looked he looked pretty good. Uh, just him and Matthews, that duo has just been outstanding to watch. It was really the one thing the Leafs have going for them uh, night after night. Uh, so, I mean, Nylander keeps scoring. I'm going to keep giving him credit. I think he's been pretty good defensively lately. He's had some, some pretty good plays uh, in his own end. And just the way he impacts that transition game. So, Nylander was my first choice. I had Anderson there as well. I think Anderson, you just realize how much the Leafs count on him. I thought he was outstanding against Buffalo, big when he needed to be. And uh, Again, I want to just put him in bubble wrap because the Leafs, if, if he gets hurt, the Leafs are in serious trouble. And then last I had Travis Dermott. I thought he was just flying out there last night. And... Uh, some of the Leafs defensemen, I won't name any names, aren't playing too well. But I think Travis Dermott's really stepping his game up, and I thought he was just flying out there and moving the puck well. So those are my three. Did you have any of the same three, or is there no overlap? Uh, there is definitely overlap. I, I would have Nylander, as I do, like I feel, every week. But I had some backups. So first I'll go with Pierre Engvall, um, a guy that I was about to call him Chief Keefe. But Sheldon Keefe uh, last night talked about how uh, most of the Marlies that came up, I think he said all the Marlies that have come up have right away fit in and played really well at the NHL level, and Pierre Engvall's no exception. He's come up, he really stands out on that fourth line, even if it's Timoshov or or Gauthier or whoever that he's playing with. He really stands out. He's been showing off his skating, and he's he's picked up a few points along the way. So first one is Pierre Engvall. Second one is Justin Hall. He hasn't. He's been the least played of the four of the three um, right defensemen, but I think he's been really good. He's always jumping up in the play, and and whenever he's on the ice, it just looks like the Leafs are in the offensive zone. Um, so that's my second one, and my third one is Jason Spezza. He didn't play last night due to the load management, and I like the way that they're doing that. But he's just come alive since Keith. Uh, became the coach he's setting up plays he set up a really nice goal that was it the Timoshov goal the other day where he he picked him out sorry uh, I think it was Patan I think that was Patan um, yeah. yeah Patan but he he has just been excellent and the style that the Leafs are playing just really seems to to suit him so I, I want to see how he uh he does going forward I don't want to call you for plagiarism but I think I picked Engvall and uh, Spezza last week I probably just listened to that part and, and copied you. <laughs> okay. Uh, so again, I think the importance of last night's win really changes the mood of this episode. If if they had lost both in Buffalo, if Buffalo had scored a late goal there, I think uh, we're probably complaining a lot this episode, whereas I feel like we got through 
uh, at kind of a dangerous stretch there. Um, so just to recap the week a bit, they played on Wednesday against Detroit. Uh, that was an easy win, 6 nothing. Detroit has a minus 53 goal differential in 29 games this year. They also had a sick Jonathan Bernier who had to take over. I thought we were going to see an emergency goalie, but we didn't. Uh, so there were two goals three minutes in. It was 3-0 after one. It was 6-0 after two. Uh, they got the shutout back for Freddie after that, after they blew it the other night. Uh, so, like, I don't think we can take much out of the Detroit game. I don't know if that's, like, I can't really give Keith too much credit for that one. Uh, everyone's beating Detroit. Everyone's beating Detroit pretty handedly. Uh, but at least they took care of business. That's all I'm really going to say about the Detroit game. Nick, do you have anything to add about that Detroit game? I think it's nice to see them win games that they're supposed to. I'm not going to speculate and say that if Babcock was still the coach, they wouldn't have won it or, or whatever. But I think that was a great performance. I mean, it was 6 nothing, and Detroit's losing to everyone. But right. it was nice to see them win a game and completely dominate in a game that they're supposed to completely dominate. So no complaints from me, only positives. Yeah, the only thing I'll say about the Detroit game, it was kind of nice to have a relaxing one where, you know, the, the players can kind of take it easy. And I think all Leafs fans' blood pressure can kind of just, you know, improve a little bit. Ease you know? up. Yeah, ease up. So <laughs> I think I think that was nice. Uh, I don't think you can take too much else out of that Detroit game. But then, then there was the, the back-to-back against Buffalo. So Keefe goes with Hutchison in the first game, I think, for that first one in Buffalo. Most people would blame Hutchison. Uh, I thought the team played very poorly. I think Hutchison definitely could have had probably one more goal, and, and that could have made the difference. But I thought the Leafs played horribly in front of them. Um, so it was, the Leafs got off to a 2 nothing lead. Uh, Tavares had both goals. One was off a Mikhaev pass. One was the missed breakaway where he, he still managed to score. And then I thought Skinner had a nice goal to make it 2-1. Kind of picked the right, pick not the corner, but it's kind of right above the pad, right below the glove. Uh, and then Eichel on a 2-on-1. Uh, middle sap tip. Like, it just felt like that's, like, I thought Hutchison was great in the first, and he just kind of got cursed in the second. I, he could have had the Olison one, I thought. Um, but taking Hutchison out of it, I don't think that was a great game for the Leafs. Uh, what did you think, other than Hutchison, what did you think of the Leafs' performance in that one? Yeah, I mean, it's so difficult to kind of separate Hutchison in that game from from how the Leafs performed because I think one really affects the other. Um I thought, I didn't think the Leafs were good. I mean, they allowed 26 shots in two periods. And that's kind of unacceptable against any team. And when you add in the fact that it was Buffalo and the first game of a back-to-back, they really have no excuse for that to occur. And that's why I had a lot of sympathy for Michael Hutchinson. It's funny because when I tweeted out kind of defending Hutchinson, I kind of saw my... I saw my feed and everyone was kind of blaming him. And then 10 minutes later, I look at my feed again because I was watching the game and I see that you are also defending Hutchinson. And I just thought to myself, oh boy, no one's going to be watching our podcast this week. It's it's going to be only our moms that are tuning in. So <laughs> it'll be just Hutchinson. Hutchinson's going to be our only listener this week. Hutchinson and his family and friends. That's that's So if he is listening, I, I hope he enjoys the segment. <laughs> so I'll say this. I'll say I'm not defending Hutchinson for the full season or for his full career. I think he's a probably a below average NHL backup. Um, but I will say, like, my least popular tweet from last year that I remember was it was actually criticizing Garrett Sparks uh, for a play. So anytime you talk about the backup goalie, everyone's just everyone seems to be very irrational about the backup goalie situation. So it, it dates back to when the Leafs picked Sparks over McElhaney. Uh, I thought at the time that was a the right decision. I know it didn't turn out well. Um, and I know in hindsight, it looks like, it certainly looks like the wrong move. There's no no denying that. But I always go back to the, to the fact that, like, what if Sparks had had played well last year? What if he, his, his success from the AHL translated perfectly to the NHL? Well, 
are you going to lose? Like, that's a lot of trade value to lose. Uh, whereas if McElhaney played well, he's just walking after that year anyways. You couldn't afford him. So I don't. I think they kind of got out almost unscathed. Like, we had to go through a frustrating time, but I'm not sure that McElhaney over Sparks makes all that much of a difference last year. It's not like he would have been playing in the playoffs. Maybe you get home ice against Boston. I don't know if you would, but, like, to me, that playoff series was just a matter of Kadri getting suspended. That was the X factor. So I'm over talking about Curtis McElhaney. I think the decision process was was sound at the time. And before we even get into Hutchison, I just want to state that I am done talking about <laughs> Curtis McElhaney. I don't want to see it. I'm tired of it. It's almost like the Nylander uh, drama from last year where it's just like, can we please stop talking about this? Just wait till he signs. Like, it's one of those. Yeah, I mean, for me... It is one of those things where if people aren't fans of that trade and I'm uh, sorry, not that trade of, of people going, I mean, uh, Dubas going with Sparks over McElhaney at this point, they're not going to change their minds. And, and I also was a fan of the trade at the time and obviously it didn't go well. And I mean, I'm probably not going to change my stance on that either. I think at the time I still would have, if it was me, I still would have taken Sparks as well. So, I mean, at this point it's kind of passed and I'm, I'm okay with us not talking about it ever again. So we're on to Hutchison now. <laughs> Back to Hutchison here. So he hasn't been good this year. And I think we've made it pretty clear that we would like other options, whether it's just to add one extra option or whether it's just to get a better backup goalie. We talked about Eric Comrie on the last episode. Uh, he's since been traded to Detroit. But I would say in this game specifically – I thought the first goal was just a nice goal from Skinner. Uh, just picked a, picked a nice spot off a nice drop pass. Uh, the Eichel goal was very frustrating. So the Leafs had a power play. The power play is expiring. Four forwards get caught uh, below the faceoff circle in Buffalo's end. Tavares makes a brutal giveaway and to the worst possible person. So you have none of the forwards change for a defenseman in time. They all get caught. You get a two-on-one with Buffalo's best player, and he takes full advantage. Like that to me was on Tavares. I know that like you'd like Hutchison to have it, but I mean that's what Jack Eichel does. Uh, he does that to tons of goalies. And then the middle stat tip was a fluke. I think everyone's kind of in agreement. And then it just like that was the worst possible time for a fluky tip goal. Uh, he had just given up two goals. There's number three. Like. That must have been brutal for his confidence. And then, I mean, I thought he should have had the Olsen one. Olsen's a very good shooter. I've seen him do that a lot in the AHL, but that's one I'd like him to have. And and then the VC goal, I mean, that was a Matthews slash Janssen giveaway uh, right in the slot. So I think Tavares and Matthews deserve a lot of criticism for that one. The Leafs got outshot 36-29. to 29. Uh, I know Nylander didn't capitalize on a couple of good chances, and I just want to see this team play better for Hutchison. I know he hasn't been good, but the Leafs are taking, let's say, a below-average backup and making him even worse because of the situations they put him in and how they play in front of him. Uh, I, I don't think Hutchison's been great this year, but the Leafs have been awful in front of him, and I think they own part of that responsibility. Yes, I'd like a different backup. Yes, I'd like to have, like, we saw Hutton and uh, Olmark, they both played well against the Leafs. I would love to have that uh, type of duo, or at least that type of backup behind Anderson, but, I mean, the Leafs have to start taking some responsibility for these games. I thought they got outplayed by Buffalo, and I don't view this as a great team, the Sabres. Neither do I. And two things I want to address is kind of the two big, I don't want to say complaints, but I just saw a lot of people say, Hutchinson like make a save I saw that so much on Twitter that night and it's almost it's almost like hindsight bias like you you're literally watching Hutchinson play very good in the first period I I can't even count how many times uh the Leafs gave up odd man rushes and, and Hutchinson kind of bailed them out in that first period and like I said before they allowed 26 shots in the first two periods he made saves. And the other thing is I saw people kind of cite, multiple people, it's not only one, like um, cite expected goals. And I think 
his expected goals was it was under two. I can't remember what the actual number is where I just don't really see the value in assessing a goaltender's performance in one game of expected goals. Yeah. Because we can literally watch the five goals and say, like you said, the Eichel, Eichel does that to multiple goalies and he's an elite shooter. Same thing with Skinner, I would say. If Matthews and Tavares scored those exact goals for us, no one in Leafs Nation is talking about how that's a soft goal. Everyone's talking about how that was a great shot and Matthews and Tavares are great, which is fine. And I understand that I would be on that boat too. But we can't say as soon as Hutchinson lets in a goal, we can't all of a sudden say, well, please make a save because you can. we have the ability to assess each goal individually. And we can't just blame Hutchinson for that game um, on Friday night because the Leafs weren't good, as you said. So those are my two big beefs. But I understand like you can't also watch the Friday game in a vacuum and, and just forget about how Hutchinson's played for the for the the other part of the season so i see both sides of it yeah using a one game expected goal sample to evaluate a goalie i think is just the dumbest thing i've seen um i don't know why people do it but especially when you watch the game um like expected goals have a ton of value but the nhl is very bad at getting the shot locations accurate and over a large sample it it seems to kind of wash out and you get you get accurate results. But in a one-game sample, like, there's just so many errors. And if, if you look at, like, if you're on NHL.com and you look at where they put the shots versus where they actually are, like, it's always way off. Um, so, I mean, I thought, I will defend Hutchison for that game. I know people will say, you know, at some point he can't allow five goals in a game. I'm in agreement with you. I don't think, like, I didn't want Hutchison to be the backup heading into this. I didn't think he was good with the Marlies last year. Um, but if you look at how they've played, and I think it was Mika Blake McCurdy who, who kind of tweeted out a, a visual, like, the Leafs are getting crushed when Hutchison's a net. Like, goalie aside, just the amount of chances they give up is ridiculous. So they need to be better on the second half of back to backs. I know. Like, and it, and it frustrates me, the old Babcock strategy, how they'd only play him on the second half. I At the time, I don't think I cared as much. Like, a few weeks ago, if you asked me, I don't think I'd care as much. But just, like, you threw Hutchison in a second half of, of a back-to-back against Boston. Like, what did you expect? Like, how is this player supposed to get any sort of confidence when you're putting him in the toughest situations possible? Um they got another one coming up, another back-to-back. They'll have lots of opportunities this month. But I just wish they would put Hutchison in better positions to succeed or any backup goalie because if you go out and get Eric Comrie and you're throwing him in on, only on back-to-backs and against teams like Boston, like what do you expect? Like Eric Comrie, uh, Jack Campbell, whoever you go out and get, it's going to be the same or very similar situation if you're putting him in the worst possible positions. It's just tough to gain confidence when you're – in these spots. Yeah, and I, I think it's a good sign that Hutchinson did play in the first game of that last back-to-back, and um, we'll see what happens on, on Tuesday and Wednesday, but I think it's a good sign that Keith isn't going to do the same thing as Babcock, and whoever the backup goalie is, whether it's Hutchison, whether it's Kaskasuo comes back up, or if they trade for someone, that they won't have just like a blanket method of doing different things, and they'll actually look at that individual scenario. And I think it was Steve Dangle had a really good tweet talking about the three reasons why... um, He pretty much stated the three reasons why Keith put Hutchison in that first game. And it's so nice to just have actual reasons why something is being done rather than just these blanket statements. This is how it's done. I'm the boss. You guys just watch... It doesn't matter why we do something. It doesn't matter if you guys know about it. So I think that's an encouraging sign regarding the backup goalies going forward. I wonder what would happen in like a March back-to-back where, and this is under Babcock, like if the Leafs are still being coached by Babcock, it's March, they're in the middle of a playoff race. The first game they're playing the Red Wings. 
in the second game, they're playing a team that they're fighting for a playoff spot with. Like, is he not going to put Anderson in the more meaningful game? Like, it's almost like a four-point game, that second one, if you're in it with another team. Like, I, I just, as you said, like, I don't think you can, like, I don't think that was ever a fireable offense, but it just makes so much more sense to take it on a, a case-by-case scenario. And I don't think that playing him in the first game like, I'm not even convinced that was the right move. I don't think it really made a difference. I thought they needed Freddie in last night's game in order to to win that. So they got one of two. Uh, we'll take it. We'll move on. I don't know who's going to play in what game this week, but let's quickly move on to the Buffalo game. I, I know I just mentioned that Freddie played outstanding, uh, but the Leafs did outshoot them 43-30 to despite only having one power play. Uh, what were your takeaways from last night's game? I thought that was the closest game that we've seen um, in terms of their shot creation that was similar to the Babcock era, uh, or at least the Babcock this year, the, the team this year. They had a ton of shots, but none of them were really, I don't want to say none of them, not a lot of them were in very dangerous areas. Um, I know a few people posted the, the shot map, and it was kind of a very similar looking shot map to what we saw before Keefe was hired. So... I thought that was kind of interesting, something that we haven't really seen with Keefe thus far. Um, did you notice that as well, that the Leafs weren't really getting too many dangerous scoring chances in comparison to the other four games? I guess so. I mean, the the game against Detroit was just kind of almost like a joke, like it was over before it started. And then the... The first game against Buffalo, I mean, 2 nothing for the Leafs. Then Nylander had a bunch of opportunities. Uh, I don't know if it, I'm trying to remember who else did, but it just seemed like they had a lot of opportunities. Last night, yeah, I guess low danger chances. Part of that is just they can't get a power play to save their lives. There's been so many missed calls, uh, so it's frustrating. But, you know, you have shooters like Matthews, Nylander, Tavares, and I thought... I thought Buffalo's goalie played well. I believe it was Hutton last night. Uh, I don't know if they got maybe the quality of chances that they'd like to, but they certainly had some quantity, and I think you, you'd expect more than one goal to go in in regulation. So uh, I thought both goalies kind of kept their teams in it. It was almost like a, a good goalie battle last night. Uh, but definitely happy to get the two points because, again, as I said off the top here, if they would have lost that one, even in overtime, like this is a much different tone in this episode. Uh, it almost feels like, and it's tough to make up ground with all these back to backs. There's a back to back this week, Philly and, and Colorado. Like they've had a tough schedule, and I'm just fortunate to get through that back to back with two points at this point. Yeah, exactly. Another thing I'll kind of comment on last night, and actually even the Friday night game. I think the first three games that we saw under Keefe, the Leafs looked a lot more organized in terms of their breakouts. And maybe it was just the teams weren't really used to it and and the Leafs were were kind of getting that surge of having a new coach. But I thought Buffalo played really well in terms of their forecheck. And the Leafs looked a lot more sloppy um, during their breakouts yesterday and uh, on Friday night. Those short passes and we saw them make a few mistakes that led to goals. The Matthews goal, um, sorry, the one where it was the fifth goal um, that you talked about earlier, where Matthews gave up the puck right in the middle of the right in the middle of the slot, comes to mind. Also, last night there was a play with about it was sometime in the third period after the ten minute mark, and Riley has the puck and he just gives CC the puck right in the slot area when two Buffalo Sabers are skating right towards him i don't know what riley was thinking there it was i think it threw threw me off completely and cc coughed up the puck which i mean i can't really blame him it was kind of a tough spot to be put in but it just looks like the leafs are still figuring out and and kind of feeling out this new system um i expect it to get a lot better as they continue to be more familiar with it but it's just something i noticed yes about against the against buffalo so I'm going to add on to that. I think the the Riley-CC pairing specifically has been really bad as of late. I think with CC, we almost expect it. 
Uh, he's had very poor underlying numbers over the years. Uh, I do maybe think he's been a little bit over underrated by the more analytic types, uh, but not by much. Like, like CC is considered one of the worst players in the league. It seems by by like things like goals above replacement or APM. I don't know if I'd go that far, but I, I do think he's like I'm. I'm ready to move on at this point. Um, I'd be interested in, in trading him, but Riley, he should be better than this. He is not playing well. He had a play in overtime last night where I, I think he just shot the puck from like 30 feet out and just gave Buffalo possession in overtime. It's like, what are you doing? Uh, his, his point totals are kind of protecting him. It seems from everyone kind of getting on his case. Because uh, he still has impressive point totals, but I watch this guy play every night, and he just hasn't been great. I don't know if there was injuries going on at the start of the year. It seemed like he was missing practice, but uh, I mean, he's also playing with CeCe, but those guys are playing huge minutes, and I don't think they're great minutes. Uh, I would like a, a change on the defense. I don't know if that comes in terms of a trade. I don't know if that comes in terms of switching the pairings. I don't know if that comes in terms of switching the minute allocations, but... I am not happy with that Riley CC pairing. And, I mean, it, it seems like a least tradition at this time of the year to say, I do not like the shutdown pair. And that it seems like we're getting that again. Yeah, and it's weird because when Muzzin and Hall were first put together, I really thought that they would be getting the tough minutes, but it stayed with Riley CC. One thing I'll say about Riley is, I think a lot of the defensemen on the Leafs have kind of bought in and this might be a bit of a stretch but that's okay have really bought into the Keefe system we see them turning back a lot to keep possession and they we don't really see them forcing too many pucks um but with Riley I just haven't really seen a huge difference with him and it's only been five games so I'm not I mean this isn't the end of the world and this is probably a bit of an early take but I just haven't really seen a difference in his play since Keefe um took over and one play in particular that kind of really describes how I feel here is is I clipped it last night and tweeted it out it was two minutes left and Riley gets the puck he's under pressure but he has CC behind him and he just throws the puck to an open wing no one's there Buffalo gets the puck comes right back CC makes a pretty nice stop Riley gets the puck again and then does the exact same thing just puts the ball puck up the the boards back to Buffalo and the Leafs are back in their own end. He's just too good of a skater and too good of a passer to be settling for kind of those long passes that are to no one, and the Leafs have to win a 50-50 puck, sometimes even worse than those chances. So I don't know if it is an injury. I don't know if it's just he's played a certain way in the at the NHL level under... Babcock for so long that it's not going to just change all of a sudden but it's so difficult to kind of put your put your finger on what's going on with Morgan Riley right now so let's go one thing I'll say about Riley CC is it seems like they're playing a ton of minutes still um just looking at other changes from from Keefe uh the most obvious one is think when they don't dump the puck in, they stop, they, they keep possession, they turn it around. We saw that a few times in the first Buffalo game. I think Spezza did it once, and Hyman did it once, and they led the goals. Um, so that's been, I think, a big difference. Another thing that I've noticed is Austin Matthews, John Tavares are playing more minutes, it seems. Uh, at first, I was a bit skeptical. Now it seems like they're, they're really getting up there. We saw Dermot in overtime last night. I don't think we would have saw that under Babcock. Uh, at least not much. Um, in terms of, because we know, one thing we haven't mentioned yet, Spezza didn't play in last night's game. Uh, I believe that's just, to steal the, the Raptors phrase, load management. I believe it's just, I mean, he's, what, 36, 37 years old. Uh, I think they don't just want to rest him in back-to-backs, keep him fresh. That's all I really read into that. Um but when he's back, so we saw Keefe, obviously it's a bit strange because we only saw it for about a game. Uh, Kerfoot came back, then got suspended pretty quickly. Uh, but he had Kerfoot on the wing with Spezza as the third line center 
and then he kept Gauthier as the fourth line center. Is that what you're expecting him to do when everyone's back? Or, or I guess, next game? Or do, would you maybe consider scratching Gauthier? Would you put Spets as the fourth line center? A lot of options there. I'm just curious what you'd do. Just because of how good Spets has played, I think that Keefe is going to experiment and potentially try him um, as the fourth line center. And, and that's what I hope. I mean, in terms of their fourth line, it's going to be kind of difficult for them to juggle, keeping Engvall up, and and especially when everyone becomes healthy just due to the cap. But even if Engvall gets sent down due to his cap hit and they have the guys that they had before, I would like to see them try Spezza, Patan, and Timoshev. Well, actually, they'd also have more at that time, so that kind of makes things even more interesting. But I definitely want to see a Gauthier less fourth line. Um, Spezza's played too right. good on, on under Keefe, and I think that he can provide that offense as we've been seeing. He's He's been really good since Keefe came, um, came in. I, I don't think that's really talked about enough, even though it is talked about. Um, but I think that Spezza, Timoshev, and Mora Patan, uh, depending on, on how who stays up, would be a really dangerous fourth line, and they can do some things. Uh, with that fourth line in terms of their usage. And also another thing I'll, I'll point out is I've been a big critic of, of Babcock's usage of that fourth line and how much there are in the defensive zone. The fourth line in general, no matter who's been playing, has been really good under Keefe. They are a positive shot differential team every night, and they're seeing the offensive zone a lot more than they were they ever were this year with Babcock. Um, one thing could be just because of the easier usage, there are not as many defensive zone starts. Uh, Tavares's line has been kind of getting more than they were before. But just in general, the fourth line looks a lot more dangerous, and it's provided some offense for the Leafs, which is really nice to see. Yeah, I think if you look at Babcock's usage of that fourth line to start the year, like he was going Goche, Shore, Timoshev most nights, and they were just getting crushed with defensive zone starts. And even if you look back to last year when it was Gauthier playing with Lindholm, like they had zero offense on that fourth line. And that was my one of my biggest complaints from, I believe, last episode is, you know, let's get some sort of offense on that fourth line. I liked it last year when it was Ennis playing with Moore in the playoffs. I want to go something similar to that. Those guys can both score. And I think Enval has been a huge addition. Uh, just He's getting a ton of chances. He's, he's fast. He can get in on the forecheck. He can get the puck back. And then he's got a, the type of shot where he doesn't need a great pass in order to score. He can beat goalies with his shot. So every time he shoots, I feel like he's got a chance. Um, and then I think Timoshev, I know his numbers aren't great, but he's he's playing pretty heavy. He's getting the puck back. He can pass quite well. Uh, he's, he's added a couple of goals along the way here. So I've liked him. I think Batan also, when everyone gets healthy, he's playing very well as of late. Uh, he deserves a lineup spot, or at least... Some, some serious playing time, maybe not every game, but uh, quite a lot of games. Um, but Goche specifically, so I'm, I'm glad that Keefe has gone at least halfway to where I want to be, where he's taking a one of Goche Shore, uh, rather than just having two face-off specialists on that fourth line. I do think the fourth line is much better than it was under Babcock, it seems. Um, but like Goche is just a zero on offense. He had a, He had a sequence last night where... He's on a great rush. It looks great. And then he shoots the puck like 10 feet wide. It's like he's, he's, it's almost like the goalie can take a nap when he's out there. And I'm just not convinced he's a great penalty killer. I'm just not convinced that he does anything at center that, that like Spezza or Engball couldn't do. Uh, at, at the start of the year, coming into camp, it looked like he was going to be out of a job. They got Shore, they got Spezza. Uh, Engvall can play center. They had some options there, and I thought he deserved to win a job. He played very well in preseason. He had a very strong start to the season. But this isn't a player who needs to play every game. He's not good enough to deserve playing every game. And he's still, like, he hasn't been scratched once as far as I know. So I'm going to be interested to see if Spezza gets the fourth-line role, maybe going to, like, four strong lines, or if they just continue to do a Gauthier-led fourth line, and, and like I'm not as high on, on his penalty kill abilities as Keefe is, it seems, but 
I am tired of that Gochi experiment as a fourth line center. Yeah, Gochi is staying in that penalty killing spot has surprised me too. And I'm hoping that once Marner's back, that he potentially takes that spot. Um, obviously, we don't know what Keefe sees in Marner in terms of his penalty killing and whether he'll keep him there. We, you know, it's really difficult to see, to say. But I will I will uh, point out with Patan. I think he's been a player that I really wanted to see a lot from um, when he was given that top nine spot. He And I think that in the last two games, he's really turned it on. Um, given that spot. I wanted to see him kind of stand out on that third line, and I think he has to a certain extent. Um, but I think we're at the point where he looks a step ahead than in comparison to his fourth line wing competition. Um, so I would like to see him in the, in the lineup more often than not. If they do do a rotation, I think it should be, just for an example, maybe two games with Patan and one game with Timoshev or... And, and I do agree about Gauthier. I think that we're at the point where we need to see some other center options in that fourth line because Gauthier just has not looked the same as he was early in the season. And he just looks a step behind in comparison to his line mates. No, de- doesn't really matter whether it's Timoshev or Engvall or Patan that he's next to. He always looks like the weak link on that line, uh, especially in the offensive zone. Uh, do you also think that when it comes to Patan, do you also think that he's looked kind of better than his competi- the competition that he will have um, on the fourth line? I think there's no question that he's having a good stretch here. He's, he's playing well. He's set up a few goals. Uh, so, and obviously, I think everyone's rooting for him at this stage. So I, I, I'd give him every every chance to win a fourth line job when, when this lineup gets healthy. So uh, I don't know if he's going to, if he's a player that has to be in the lineup every night, but he's playing like 60% of the games, I, I, I'm happy with that. I think he's he's better than a lot of the other fourth-line options. Now, the Leafs do have a lot of fourth-line options. They seem to lead the league in fourth-line wingers, uh, whether it be guys on the Leafs or guys with the Marlies. Um, there seems to be lots of guys that, that can do it. Um, so it'll be interesting. I mean, I, I missed Marner last night. I think, you know, close game, low-scoring game. I was looking for someone who could create high-danger chances, and like the Leafs, the Leafs are built on two high-end duos. You have Matthews Nylander, you have Tavares Marner, and when one of those isn't there, you you really notice it. Like when Marner's back, he'll he'll push everyone down the depth chart, and then having Marner Nylander Kapanen at right wing, like that's just a ton of entries. So I'm I'm excited to see what Keith can do with Marner. I'm excited to see what Marner can do in the system, um, and I don't know when he's back. It's it's probably at least another couple weeks, I'm guessing. But uh, if they can maybe win two or three this week and just bide time until Marner's back, I'm happy because I think this lineup at full strength, especially if they go with like a Spezza, Patan type fourth line, like I'm really excited to see how much offense this team can create. Yeah, and Marner kind of seems like the perfect player to play under Keefe's system. Two things that Keefe's system is Keefe's system has really driven is the Leafs having the puck more and the Leafs having the puck more in the offensive zone. Two things that Marner thrives in in those types of environments. So I'm really excited to see him uh, back on the team. One thing that I have seen uh, kind of floating around is keeping this Mikhaev Tavares Hyman line together when Marner's comes back. Um I'm not really sure about it. I would like to see Marner back with Tavares in this system just because I know how good they have been and how good that Hyman-Tavares-Marner line is. But it's also intriguing thinking about any sort of lineup blender options. So would you like to see Marner kind of floating around? Would maybe we see him with you know, something completely different and see Matthews, Nylander, and Marner together somehow? Maybe we see Marner on the third line with Kerfoot and um, I guess it would be Kapanen. Um, is that something that you've been thinking about or, or would be open to trying? Or do you just want to see Hyman, Marner, and Tavares back together? Um, I think it's a little bit tricky because we saw Kapanen on left wing and he didn't play too well during that stretch. 
I don't know if that was solely because of just the right wing to left wing, but uh, he wasn't great there. I don't really love the idea of putting Matthews, Nylander, and Marner all together. It'd be really fun, but like the Matthews Nylander duo is excelling already. Like to me, you need the help on the other lines. Um, and then it just becomes a question of minutes. Like if you're going to keep that line together, now you're going, like I would go Marner with Kerfoot then and try to get, you know, a shutdown line and then two high scoring lines to follow with the Matthews line and then a Marner line. Uh, but then you get into the, to the, logistics of it and you're thinking okay how much is Marner going to end up playing or am I playing him enough am I overplaying Mikhaev uh, so the minutes aspect might be tricky I will say that I think there is a bit of recency bias here where you're thinking you know the the Marner Tavares duo wasn't great before uh, I mean Tavares got hurt this year and, and Marner got hurt now but and you look at last year's you look at last year's numbers and Hyman yeah you look at last year's numbers Marner led the league in a five on five points per minute I believe um and then Tavares was up there as well like that line was outstanding last year and I would like to get back to that I think you put a great playmaker with Marner with a power forward and a great goal scorer in Tavares and you're going to get great results so I would go back to the Hyman Tavares Marner trio I think it keeps it lets you keep Marner Nylander Kapanen on the right wing it also just makes the most sense in terms of minutes. Um, would you do the same, or do you like that Mikhaev line? I think in the end, I would like to see Hyman, Marner, and Tavares together. And like you said, there's there's been a big enough sample of that line being very good. And I'm very confident in their abilities to shut down other teams' top lines while also providing offense. So I think in the end, that should be the definitely be the line but I mean I wouldn't mind seeing them have some fun and, and maybe try some things that are new for for uh for a little bit but again like in the end I want to definitely see that line come back together yeah okay and then the other thing I'll say in terms of changes I so I guess it all starts with the backup goalie situation so right now the Leafs have Hutchison and they don't really have many options in terms of a replacement. Kaskasuo was not very good in the NHL last year. He's having a better year this year. I don't think you can have a ton of confidence in him. Uh, he, doesn't, he just doesn't have the track record to have a ton of confidence in him that he's going to be a great backup goalie. So I wouldn't mind trading for a good backup goalie, someone like Bernier if Detroit retains. Um, someone where if, if Anderson were to get hurt, uh, this backup would at least keep you in games until he got back. And I don't know if they have a great solution right now, but they can't upgrade because they don't have the cap space. Like it's very tricky to find a fit. There are a few. I thought Eric Comrie was one. Um, but the easiest way to get cap space, there is one guy on this team that you can trade is Cody CC. If, do you think if they offered Cody CC to every NHL team for nothing. Just take them. Do you think they'd get rid of them, or do you think they'd have to give up something in order to get rid of them? Um, it's it's so tough to know because one of the most confusing things with CC right now is is how much he's playing under Keefe. I think that when Keefe got hired, that was a big thing that I expected to change would be uh, CC's usage, but it stayed the exact same. So. For me, that either means two things. That means that, A, the Leafs organization as a whole really does think uh, CC is, is doing well in that um, in that usage and, and the Leafs are benefiting from it. Or B, and this one's definitely the stretch, is that they're trying to play him a lot more, even under Keefe, to try and trade him. Obviously, that's a bit of a, a dream at this point. Um in terms of your question, oh, <laughs> I guess that's the million-dollar question. I mean, I think that if they could just trade him, hopefully I would say that they would. I think mostly fans would say that. But again, it is so difficult to read what they really feel about Cody Cece that I feel like that, that question, the, the answer to that question is almost impossible at this point. I think they could get rid of him. Um, so it is a possible question to answer. Um well, do you, do you think they would have done it by now if they could? 
I, I don't know. I, I guess not, because I think they could do it. Um, I think, like, you see guys like Good Branson get signed and traded in this league. CC's played huge minutes everywhere he's gone. Uh, he continues to play huge minutes, both under Babcock and Keefe. Uh, I know, like, you're also not paying, like, it's already about 30 games into the year. You're not paying his full salary. Uh, I don't know what it would be, like, $3 million around there, maybe? Yeah, around there. Um, and, like, teams like Winnipeg that need defensemen, I think they'd be they'd take CC for nothing. So I know people are kind of skeptical, but I do believe, like, it seems to me like they could move CC and that they are choosing not to. Um, I don't know if Leafs fans believe that. I don't know if they want to believe that. Um, but it seems like they value CC more than most people do. Um, that's just my my stance on it. Now it is a tough trade to make. You have to find a team that has that cap space. Um, and then if you were to trade them for someone like Colin Miller, who I'm a big fan of, or David Savard, um, even if you added there, like anyone with more than this year of control, then it it factors into next year's cap situation, and they don't have much room. So. It makes it tricky then to re-sign someone like Muzzin or someone like Barry uh, if you make a move like that. So they, they, they do have to think ahead here. Um, but for me, like I'm watching, and maybe this is a good transition to talk about the Marlies here, but I'm watching like last night's game against Utica. Yeah, play Utica, I think. Sandine and Lilligren looked outstanding. And I think Sandine is an NHL defenseman today. Um, I think he's better defensively than Riley and CeCe today. Not that that's saying a ton, um, but I'm ready to move on. I'm ready to get that cast base and, and spend elsewhere. Uh, I don't know if the Leafs are thinking the same as me. Though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in terms of whether the Leafs are thinking the same, it's tough to say, but when it comes to Sandine, I'm still okay with him being in the AHL for a little bit. I think that he looks he kind of looks at that level that Dermot did when he was in the AHL and before he got called up. I think he looks a step better than everyone there, but I want to be patient with Sandine. It is so important that he becomes a good top four defenseman for the Leafs for years to come, uh, especially given their, their salary cap situation and how many defensemen they have signed in the future. So I don't think there's a rush to make a trade and, and bring up Sandine right away. If they wait till the trade deadline, and I know it's only two to three months and, and you know, that's not really going to move the needle that much, but I really like the decision of the Leafs organization to send him to the world juniors. Um, last year at the world juniors, we saw, I thought it was a really good battle between Sandine and Kako when they Sweden and Finland played. And, and I'm excited to see Sandine go up against some of the best prospects in the league again. So when it comes to, to that, I think the Leafs can can be patient with Sandine and just let him continue to grow his game at the AHL level um, with the Leafs development. So, but again, I mean, if they do make that make a trade and have to bring him up, it's not it's not detrimental to them. I didn't mind like if he's going to play nine minutes a night, I'd rather have him in the AHL, but. To me, I, I don't mind having Riley Barry on the first unit, put Sandine on the second power play unit, and you get him a little bit more ice time that way. Uh, you just play him a bit more. I thought he was very good during his NHL stint. Uh, for me, he's going to be a top four defenseman, whether he's in the NHL today or whether he's in the AHL for another the rest of the season, I guess. Uh, he's good. He's an outstanding passer. Uh, he's strong on the puck. He protects the puck well. Uh, just great vision out there, uh, his ability to make to pass off his backhand. I mean, he, he could improve his skating a little bit, and I think that'll hopefully take a small step forward over time, but uh, he's been outstanding on the power play. He, he can kill penalties. Uh, I would be using him more. I know it's tough for an NHL coach to to trust a teenage defenseman in, in those type of roles, but, I mean, Keith's seen him play. Keith relied on this guy. Like crazy with the Marlies. I wonder if there's any, if the probability of him coming up improves now that they've made a coaching change. Uh, because if you can play him 13, 14 minutes a night or even 15 minutes, I'm okay with that. I think that's enough minutes for me to be happy. I think it, he's he's good enough to make a bit of a difference on this team right now. 
And then the other player I'll mention is Lilligren. Now, I thought Lilligren had a strong rookie season. I thought he was a little bit disappointing last year, where I didn't really see a huge jump between year one and year two. Part of that's due to injuries. Uh, he's kind of been unlucky on, on, in that sense. He has really stepped his game up this year. He is now looking like someone who's on the verge of of being an NHL player. Uh, look, he's looking like the player I thought he maybe not who I thought I'd be at the draft, but I'm seeing a lot of a lot of what I saw then, where he's moving the puck much better, very confident out there. He's flying up and down the ice. He's jumping up into the rush. Uh, Lilligren is taking a pretty big step forward this year. I wouldn't call him up yet because I haven't seen him do it for long enough, and I want him to keep gaining that confidence and and keep keep getting that experience as a high-end puck mover at that level. But he is looking like someone who's going to be ready for next year, and I think watching Sandine Lilligren, I mean, they didn't play Friday, and I thought it was a huge difference. That team is much different when Sandine and Lilligren are on the ice versus when they're off the ice. I know you've been watching the Marlies. Can you say the same thing? Or are you a big Ben Harper fan? <laughs> we're not gonna we're not gonna use our our, uh, our valuable podcast time to talk about Ben Harper, but with Lilligren, I think that this year he's definitely not the player, in my opinion, that I thought he was gonna be at the draft. I thought last year he made huge strides defensively, and he wasn't jumping up in the rush as much as he is this year. And then he's kind of taken the skills that he really improved on last year defensively, and and combined it with what the skills were that everyone know, knew him for at the draft. And he's kind of put it all together this year. We see him making really good plays in transition defensively and then turning back and and leading the rush the other way. So he's really just becoming a complete player. And I, I think he definitely should be staying with the, with the Marlies this year uh, for the full season and then come back strong next year with the Leafs. Yeah, I'll say between Sandine, Lilligren, and Hollowell, I've been really encouraged. And Lilligren's got 11 points in 17 games now. I know points aren't the best indicator of a defenseman's play. I would say Morgan Riley hasn't played that well this year, for example, and he's got a ton of points. But with Lilligren, I do think it, it matters um, because, yeah, his defensive game did take a step forward last year. You're right. Uh, but now we're finally seeing the offensive game take a step forward. It seems like he's moving the puck better. He's more confident with his shot. Uh, he's getting a shot through a little bit here. Uh, he used to get it blocked like crazy. Uh, he's a better power play quarterback than he used to be. thought he struggled early on in his career in that area. Um, so I am encouraged, and I think, I don't know, like maybe he's got a chance at a call-up at the end of the year. Uh, but... There was the game where he, like, those two both, they're playing a three-on-three this weekend. He They both didn't play on Friday night, and it was just, they were sloppy. They did not look good on the back end uh, without them. I like Mac Hollowell, too. I think he's an outstanding skater, like, almost like a Mete type, where if you can skate like that, you have a chance. Um, if you can just be competent in the other areas of the game. So, whenever I watch the Marlies, I'm very encouraged with, with those three specifically. Obviously, Hollowell is more of a long shot, but... Uh, one thing I think that's worth pointing out is just how good those Sandy and Lilligren are this year, and uh, definitely an encouraging thing as you look towards next year where the Leafs only have one defenseman signed in Morgan Riley. So it's nice to have some potential replacements. Yeah, and I mean, Sandy and Lilligren are clearly better than the other Marley's options this year. I mean, they're eating up big minutes this year, and the Marlies are really playing well when they're on the ice, as you said. When it comes to Hollowell, I'm super high on Hollowell. I think he's arguably one of the best skaters in the organization. He is a tremendous skater in his edge work is fantastic. He's a great, his straightaway speed is amazing. He has a really good sense for the game, I find. Um, I found that his biggest knock in the past was, especially with this, with Sault Ste. Marie, he, he jumps up in the rush a lot kind of similar to Tyson Berry, uh, and I thought that it got him into trouble a lot. This year, I see him a lot more selective when he is jumping up, which is kind of nice to see. So like you said, he is a long shot, but his skating is so, so good. And when you look at the way the Leafs organization wants to play, it only bodes well for him. So sticking on the Marlies here, 
I want to give you an opportunity to give your big shout out here. So I think the last three episodes you've been saying you wanted to show, give this guy a shout out. You've been impressed with him. Uh, this has been much hype. So why don't you go ahead with that? Yeah. Um, I, it's funny cause I keep forgetting about, uh, to say it during the podcast and then I say it to you after and I, like you said, I think it's been three episodes, but it's Tanner McMaster. I mean, at this point, he now has, I think he has points in the last eight games, and he's now at, um, he's now at thirteen points in nineteen games. And again, even for forwards, points isn't you know the only thing that we should be looking at. But he's doing, he's being a positive player for the Marlies in in more ways than just generating points. He wins a ton of battles, despite being on the smaller end. He's got that speed and, and tenacity. He, he kind of reminds me a little bit of Trevor Moore in, in that sense, where he just seems like he's always in feisty battles and, and, and really standing out on the ice. Um, it's nice to see the points coming, and now he's got a bit of a, um, thanks to some injuries, he's got a, a bump um, on the line with Pontus Aberg. Uh, so... I think it was yesterday's game where he scored the goal, the tip from from Aberg, who's also been really good. But now McMaster is twenty three, so he's not he's not like you know a grade A prospect. But I don't think he really needs to be. I I look at a player like Michael Carconi from last year, who had who was producing. I looked it up this morning. Who was uh, producing at a point six two points per game rate last year. Right now, McMaster has 13 points in 19 games, which is a little bit higher than that. And, and Carconi had a really good playoffs. So McMaster, is he ever going to become an NHL player? You know, I'd probably put my money saying no. But the fact that he's playing well means that the Leafs could turn him into an asset maybe in a trade or even if he stays with the Marlies and, and, and you know, becomes a bigger role when guys like Engvall get called up or there's injuries, that's okay too. But it's just really nice to see McMaster step up like this. Yeah, I think he's more of like a an AHL. I think it, the most likely scenario here is that he's an AHL lifer, but uh, he has stepped into, like he's a, he's a, he's been playing a lot of wing and then he moved to center when the Marlins have had injuries here. He's centering Korshkov and Aberg. So it's been a good line. Um, I think Aberg's been the team's best forward on most nights. He's looking like an NHL player. Uh, not that the Leafs have a spot, but he's got 23 points in 20 games. He's been pretty good on the forecheck. Uh, he's, his one-timer is kind of not the focal point of the power play, but a big point of that Marley's power play. Um, the Marlies aren't that good um, this year. I mean, part of that is they don't have Marchment. They don't have one of their best centers in, in Kosala, but uh, this team is... is pretty bad in transition. I uh, don't know if that gets talked about enough. They don't have a ton of transition skill on the wings. Um, like Garrett Wilson, Baptiste, Archibald, they're not great carriers. I think that hurts them. I think playing Ben Harper hurts them. I, I have no idea how he ever played in the NHL. Um, they're, they're not as strong as they used to be. They keep winning games somehow. I don't know how they're doing it. They have a good power play. They've been getting good goaltending. But... They're not that strong this year. Anyone else that's kind of caught your eye? Yeah, I think that's pretty funny, though. I'm going to comment on what you just said. I think that is a testament to how spoiled we've been with the Marlies over the last few years, where that championship team was just almost too good on paper. Um, And last year's team was really good, too. I think this year's team is a lot less exciting, but... When we also say that, I mean, they're also 14-3-2 and and first in the North Division. So in comparison to past years, they're definitely not as good, but they're still they're still winning games and they're still going to be one of the best teams um, in their division. And, and They're getting outshot. They are getting outshot, but they, like you said, they just keep, they still win games and they're not always pretty. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's sustainable. Yeah, I guess we'll see with that. I mean, they're definitely not going to to keep up this pace, but I think they're still going to be one of the top teams in the division. Yeah, they got they got a scoring talent. Aberg, Bracco, Agostino. Bracco had a nice assist the other night, um, as he always does. But And we'll see what happens when they get a, a player or two from the Leafs once they become healthy as well. Right. I just think there's been a lot of turnover at the top where 
Engval has been up, and then they also had Patan down for like a weekend at a time. So I think there's been some changes, but again, I mean, it's it's no different. Last year they had the amount of turnover they had on that team was ridiculous, and they still won games. So um, another player that stood out for me, I think I'll say Agostino. Um, I know I was pretty high on him in the summer, and obviously those have been kind of tapered down a bit, but he's a player that is just seems to make the right decision in, in most situations. He's very reliable in his own end. He is a sneaky good transition player, and we see that the, the Marlies kind of are able to get from the defensive zone to the offensive zone just from Agostino's ability to to, to carry the puck, as well as his ability to get open and, and help create passing lanes and, and get them up the ice that way. So uh, is he a player that is kind of knocking on the door to, to come up to the NHL? Definitely not, but I've, I've been impressed with, with how he's been playing. Yeah, they could, I mean, they have so many fourth line wing options. It's it's insane between what they have at the NHL level and then Agostino, Aberg, maybe even Bracco, like, they have tons of those. And I think it, it speaks volumes as to why you don't spend on fourth-line players like Vancouver does uh, because the, the Leafs have just an absurd amount of, of options there. So before we get out of here, I just wanted to talk about the upcoming week. So Tuesday night, they're in Philly, and, and then they have a back-to-back with Colorado where they come home. We got Kadri's uh, return to Toronto. And then St. Louis, they're at St. Louis on Saturday. That's a pretty tough game. How many points? I got two questions for you here. One, which game would you play Hutchison in? Would you play him in at Philly, or would you play him on the second half of a back-to-back at home against Colorado? And then the other question is, how many points do you need this week in order to be happy? Yeah, the first question I'll definitely say I want to see him again on the first half to the back-to-back. I don't want to see the Leafs be tired or whatever on that second half and, and Hutchison get that I want to put him in a situation where you have the best chance for him to win because they need a win with that backup goalie in, in net um and the second question I would say that sorry so it's three games right um three games so Philly on the road Colorado second half of a back-to-back at home and then back on the road against St. Louis yeah I'd say four points they're good enough to do that um I'm not going to say six or five just I don't want to set myself up for disappointment like we used to back in the old era, but um, let's go four. I think that they're good enough to get two wins um, out of those three games, and they're playing decent hockey. So I can't decide on the Hutchison question. Um, I think I have a lot of respect for Colorado, and I think that's a very tough game. So I wouldn't mind just getting the points against Philly. Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of indifferent about that one. I think... Four to be happy, but three is what I'm expecting. Uh, I think I, all three teams are pretty good. Obviously, St. Louis won the Cup last year, and you're in St. Louis. Uh, Colorado, I, I love McKinnon and McCarr. I think they're outstanding players. Uh, obviously, Kadri's going to be quite motivated. I think they got Ranton in back. Uh, so that's good. That's a tough one. I think Colorado's one of the best teams in hockey. Uh, so I'll, I'll take three uh, just to kind of get through the week, uh, buy a week until Marner's back. Uh, the schedule does get easier after this next week. Uh, they do still have back-to-backs, but I think it's Detroit and the Rangers that are on the second half of those back-to-backs. Um, so if they can get through this week with three or four points, I think you're going to see a pretty good December. Um, so any last any last points before we get out of here? Any final shout-outs? I know you already got your McMaster one in, so... You're probably happy, but I'll give you one last chance here. I'm pretty happy with McMaster, to be honest. That was going to be my my uh, my final minute shout out, but I'm glad that you brought him up earlier, so I had uh, more to say about him. I'll give one last one here. I got uh, Mikhail Abramov. It's a player I liked. He's a he's a prospect playing in the queue for the Leafs. He's a player I liked at the Alinka uh, for Russia. Uh, didn't play very well in in the rookie camp. I think he's. A little bit light he's physically immature but he's got some speed he's got some skill he's got some carrying ability on the wing um he's playing on a poor team in the in the queue this year but i believe he has more goals than his next teammate has points so he's just carrying his team's offense by a mile he's looking like a good pick 
Um, obviously, with Robertson out, we've need some prospects to watch. So uh, it'll be fun to see Robertson back probably in the next week or two, uh, I'm guessing. So uh, with that, I think we'll call it a week for this episode. Thank you, thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next week.